0: Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's Word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text-to-pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon Talk Back.
1: Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talk Back. I'm Will Kynes and I am here with Barrett Fisher who preached the third sermon in our Christ Covenant series, our Covenant Wheel series. That's kind of become our secondary term for this uh, this series because we're working through <laughs> the Covenant Wheel of Christ Covenant yes. and all of these different disciplines. And um, Barrett, you looked at family worship uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a good place to start, which is one of the questions that you brought up right at the beginning of the sermon, is you said that the primary place for discipling your kids should be the home. This is not Hmm. primarily something that we should outsource to the church or to a Christian school or something like that. Why is that? Why is it so important that we disciple our kids in our homes?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, You know, I I mean, I would, I would simply point to the passage that we talked about on Sunday. Um, So in Deuteronomy six, I mean, basically Moses is, is saying that, you know, God is commanding, for parents to do this for their children. And so there, there does seem to be a direct, uh, direct command that, uh, that we ought to follow. And it seems like the the church, you know, would have no reason not to continue that pattern of, of mm-hmm. passing on our, um, you know, our faith and our beliefs to our children. Another thing, another point here is probably from a, a little more of a, a practical uh, yeah. standpoint, you know, if, so, so parents parents are constantly discipling your children in the home. We're always discipling our children. We're discipling them, uh, you know, in terms of like which college team we love. I mean, I, I go there because like, there's a lot of discipleship that goes on with that. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat up on that. I I think there's a place for that. I think that, you know, a lot of relationship and fellowship can happen, a lot of bonding between father and son or, you know, daughter, mother, whatever. And so I'm not trying to beat up on like the the love for your college team, but we do disciple our kids in that. I mean, we we very much like tell them how to love the team and we teach them the chance and you know we we teach – I mean, so my parents um, were both from Arkansas. And when you're from Arkansas, there's really only one D1 school that every, the entire state goes for. And so, I mean, my kids uh, – my, my parents taught me how to do woo pig suey, you know, where you raise the hands, woo pig suey, you know. And so, I mean, we grew up doing that, you know. And at the end of games when Arkansas would pull out a close one, like we would all – pile on the floor and you know we'd be so excited (laughs) and and all that kind of stuff so i mean we were we were very much discipled in how to love the razorbacks uh you know i mean we we disciple our kids on how to do business you know i think that's another important one where we we kind of tell our kids like, you know, this is, this is how you're going to survive in the world. You got to make money. And so we'll teach them basic business concepts or how to, you know, we'll teach them and how to have a checking account, how to manage their money well, how to do well in school. I mean, this is one that I'm currently trying to disciple my kids in is like (laughs) how to do well in school, particularly math and science. For some reason, that is a that is a killer for the Fisher household at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, we, we disciple our kids in, in, in different things like this. So the, the, the point is that if we say we believe the Bible, we believe in Jesus, we're trying to follow Jesus, we take our, uh, we take our family to church on Sundays, and yet in the home, it's not something that we're discipling our kids with there is a major disconnect and the kids don't have to be very old to start to pick up on the inconsistencies there. Yeah, And I I mean, a really strong word would be the hypocriticalness there. But I do think at some point it becomes somewhat hypocritical. If, if we're saying this is so important to us, our faith and going to church and what we believe in, and, and yet in the home, it's rarely talked about. It just leaves to me. I think it leaves a big question in in kids' minds. You know, do my parents really have the faith that they that they talk about?
1: Yeah, and and you're right that kids are so perceptive and they pick up on these things. Yes, uh, and the the sports analogy is such a good analogy because we do pass that on to our kids and what they the way they pick up on it is they see our enthusiasm for it right they see that on right. Saturdays we're there in front of the yeah. couch every week we put on the clothes we talk about it you know we right. call our friends and we're like did you see that game or you know whatever it is and i mean yeah. this is where the passage Deuteronomy 6 it hits right at it like She'll, you shall teach them diligently to your children, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, right? And your kids pick up on the stuff that you're right. talking about all the time. And that's the reason why they love the same sports team that that you do, because you're enthusiastic about right. it. And so they're enthusiastic about it. So yeah. in a way, you know, I think we're discipling our kids at home, whether we're mm. intentional about it or not in, in terms of our right. faith right? Because if we're not yeah. talking about our faith all the time, that is another form of discipleship. It's a form of saying, ah, oh, this is not really that important. It's just something that we do on Sundays
2: or something like that. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, again, not to, I mean, you can love a college team and love the Lord at the same time. So it's not, it, this yeah. is not about like choosing one or the other. It's just, I mean, you're exactly right. Like they will pick up on the things that we get excited about. So if you, I mean, if you come to your kids and say, you know what the Lord, like, just showed me something in the book of Ephesians this morning. And like, it it was amazing, you know, and I'm, I'm just like so grateful for what the Lord has done in my, my life and in the life of our family. And we're just so grateful for what he's provided for. You know, if, if you show enthusiasm in that respect, like they will pick up on that as well.
1: Yeah. In fact, I was reading a book recently um, by this uh, sociologist named Christian Smith uh, called Handing Down the Faith. And um, hmm. he was talking about how studies show that <clears throat> a lot of it is the informal discussion of faith that can be even yeah. more effective in passing down the faith. Rather, I mean, it is good to have formal time when we open the word with sure. our families, but the informal where it just comes up in conversation with your kids, that actually communicates right. to your kids that this is actually something that's really a part of your life. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, so they're seeing that and in, in responding to it. Uh, now, another well, question. Yeah. yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, I, I mean, I was just going to say on the informal part. I, I I tried to pull that out in in the sermon as well. Just that, you know, we when we talk about family worship as like one of our nine behaviors or one of you know, I like to use the word rhythms. And so when we talk about that, um, it, we do think of a more formal time where we're all kind of sitting down together and having this time of worship. But it, it is um, it is those more informal times where I know that I've had you know, lots of great conversations and discussions with our kids just over those like informal times. So just, just to reiterate your point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I like the examples that you gave in the sermon of just, you know, taking a kid out for a walk and the kinds of Mm -hmm. conversations that come up in those moments. Um, A tip for some parents, if you're looking for tips, I actually have tried recently since I read that um, book that I was talking about to be formally informal. So my kids don't know this, but Mm -hmm. I make it a point to bring up at dinner something that I learned in the word myself. It's not a like, hey, I'm going to pull out the Bible and we're going to talk about stuff. It's just trying to integrate it into our conversation. But I'm being formal about it. They, I hope, think, oh, you know, this dad just seems to talk about the Bible at the dinner table all the time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that, man. The formally informal. And I think that's what we're Joe, Beth and I are trying to do that as well a little bit with like the, you know, New Testament reading plan in the year and and just have those intentional times where we're like, hey, did you know, I mean, Eli this morning, like he asked me, he was like, he's like, Dad, are we are you on Mark 12 or Mark 11 or or Mark 13? I forget which one. He's like one chapter ahead. And I was like, well, I read Mark 12 this morning, you know, and so it it just kind of it's that formally informal. I, I, I like that. That's good. Yeah,
1: Creating context to have those kind of informal conversations is great. Now, another thing in the sermon, uh, you created a distinction between family worship and family discipleship. And I think I hear people use those two terms interchangeably a lot. So Hmm. why do you think it's important to understand the distinction between them?
2: Yeah, um, I I will be curious to hear from you as well. But I, you know, as I said, I I do think the two are, are very integrally tied together, and they're 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 inseparable in a lot of ways. Um, but I think the helpful thing in distinguishing between the two is that worship is more of the loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and um, and then you know we can carry out kind of outward external expressions of that worship, you know whether we get together with our family and we sing or or we pray and you know just thank God for for different things or or um, you know what it, however that may look those outward expressions, but discipleship seems to be more the intentional efforts of like training our children. In the way they should go, as the writer of Proverbs would say, uh, and so I, I th- maybe maybe a good way to think about it is that worship undergirds discipleship, where they're they're both very much like a part of the same house, but worship is kind of the foundation of the house, and then discipleship is a little more the you know the, the building frame of the house, if you will. I, I don't know if that's a helpful distinction. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you could also look at it the other way around in the way that you described it, because you're talking about discipleship as kind of this intentional plan of encouraging worship in your kids, right? So you're you're being a little bit more intentional about, right, this is how we're going to train our children up so that they'll worship. Right. So there is this this cycle to it where the worship yeah. inspires the discipleship and grounds the discipleship. And then the discipleship encourages the worship. Uh, and we were talking about this, I think last week or the week before um, with personal devotion with Jason and, and worship and how mm-hmm. personal devotion mm-hmm. encourages our worship and our worship in, to, or drives us towards personal devotion. And I think it's just a big right. part of these rhythms is they create momentum in your, your life of faith that make it easier to keep the rhythms going because they each contribute to the other.
2: Right. Yeah. I I think that's great. One, uh, you know, like I said yesterday, our family spent a number of years overseas and um, I I would work oftentimes with like Indonesian church planners who were very much in like a pioneer situation where they're trying Mm -hmm. to reach Muslims with the gospel and you, somebody would come to faith. And the question is like, what do you do with a person who comes to faith? in those contexts, um, do you, and and so there were kind of two ways of kind of two camps on how discipleship ought to be carried out. And it was either obedience-based discipleship or knowledge-based discipleship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obedience-based discipleship is literally like sitting down with them, reading a passage from, you know, the words of Jesus, and then saying, you go and do the same you know, you're supposed to go and do this. You're supposed to go tell somebody about your faith. You're supposed to go share this story with somebody else. And then next week we'll come back together and you'll, I'll ask you. So basically you'll report to me whether or not you shared that. And so that's kind of the more obedience, just kind of like, go do what I tell you to do. Uh, You can, you can obviously see the ditches on, on the side of that, which is you know, your heart's not really in it. You're just kind of like going and doing. And, and and we can instill that in our kids as well to just say obedience-based discipleship, go, you know, go do this because Jesus said it and their yeah. hearts are not changed at all. Uh, the knowledge-based discipleship obviously is like, you know, just pumping in information. So teaching them the word and teaching them scripture and maybe having them memorize scripture and things like that. And so you, you grow in your knowledge um, and so as I wrestled with those two, because because both of them seem inadequate, uh, both of them seem like they don't really get it at a heart level. And so I, I kind of just, you know, maybe in my own personal thinking and how I approach discipleship and working with those church planters that I worked with, but I would say like the middle of those two is worship based discipleship. Mm. So it was kind of bringing the two together and saying like, we ought to be worshiping and as we're worshiping, yes, we want to grow in our knowledge. And yes, we want to obey the commands of the Lord. But but that's the proper way to carry out both of those different things, knowledge and obedience. And so you have to have that like worship-based discipleship. So I don't know if that's kind of helpful. Yeah,
1: I like that. And I think it's something we could think about with our kids, uh, trying to mm. not focus only on obedience or only on knowledge. But is the way that we're discipling our kids something that motivates them, inspires within them worship of, of God. Right. And then the obedience and the knowledge flow out of that and flow into it. Uh, yeah. Right. Now, you focused on Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, which is uh, called the Shema from that first Hebrew word there, which means hear or listen. Um, and you set it in its context in Deuteronomy 6, the verses that follow uh, verses 10 to 14 talk about how... Moses is saying, you know, when the Lord brings you into the land, because Moses is saying this to the Israelites before they cross into the promised land. He says, you know, when the Lord brings you into the land and you get these great and good cities that you didn't build and houses full of all the good things that you did not fill and cisterns, you didn't dig and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant and you eat in your full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the mm. land of Egypt. Uh, and you said, you know, this helps us understand why this is so important, what Moses says mm. in 6, 4 to 9. And right. I wonder if we could talk about the modern Atlanta equivalent to that,
2: mm. <laughs> because
1: I think there's a lot of connections mm. here between the kind of context that Moses is describing and the kind of context that we are in at, in Atlanta. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is a... Uh... I mean, it's a great, it's a great point. It, it, it is a very relevant, um, is a very relevant passage. I, I, I chose not to go, you know, through and read verses 11. Uh, well really verse 11 That's uh, 10 and 11, but, um, you know, when they go in there and they, I mean, basically like the Lord, God has set up everything for them in the promised land. Like there's houses they didn't build. There's cisterns. They didn't dig there's vineyards and olive trees. They didn't plant. So I mean, they're just going to go in there and have like vineyards with grapes and they're going to have olive trees with all you know? Uh, so, I mean, they just kind of have like a, a, a package deal of going in there. Um, and the tendency is to forget God. Uh, and, and I would, you know, It's, it's difficult because we live in such a land of abundance. Um, And not only that, I mean, a lot of us nowadays, because we're kind of like generations down the road of living in very wealthy America, we have houses we didn't build. We have cisterns we didn't dig. We have vineyards and olive trees we didn't plant. I mean, a, a lot of us are like, you know, handed a a lot in life. And even those, even those who are, I don't know, seem as though they don't have as much in America. I mean, if you look at it in a world context, like even, you know, even the, the less fortunate in America just have so much more than, than other, you know, people in other parts of the world. And so we just live in a very wealthy country and, I do think this tendency is is exactly the same that 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 we have the tendency to get comfortable. We have the tendency to rely on, uh, you know, the things that we have rather than relying on God and rather than you know it always coming back to Him. And so we, it, it's it's hard to know you know what else to say about that except we do have this tendency. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's good for us to be aware of the tendency to say. I don't know. I mean, maybe there are things that we can do to kind of get us out of our comfort zone. And I think that's why sometimes when like people go on a mission trip somewhere and they've never been outside the U.S. or whatever. uh, I mean, a lot of you listening now can probably think of like the first time you went somewhere that was like more impoverished or didn't have as much like it's very eye opening. It's very impactful. Uh, I remember the first time that I went outside the U.S. was to Zambia, Africa. Mm -hmm. And I specifically remember I I went there for two months to work with a missionary couple and and came back and we would always go down to Gulf Shores for vacation. And my parents were down there and my mom would always take us to the outlet mall and she'd want to she'd want to like get me some article of clothing. And I remember her like wanting to get me something. And I said, Mom, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. You know, and I was just so impacted by I have more than enough And I don't think I need another shirt or another pair of pants or or whatever it is. And so, you know, um, but that's why sometimes we get out of our context, and and it's very impactful for us. Um, So, so maybe there is, you know, something to say for like get be intentional to get out of your comfort zone, and you don't have to go out of America to do it. I mean, go to a homeless shelter and you know volunteer, or go somewhere else where it's 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 going to be uncomfortable for you, but you'll get to see. Other, you know, real life situations that hopefully will cause you to reflect on, you know, what the Lord has done for you, um, so that we don't forget the Lord, as as verse twelve says.
1: And that could be a part of your family discipleship, bringing your kids along to serve someone, so that they get that important experience, uh, and and not only for them but also. To be used by God in in that situation, whatever it may be. You know, I was thinking about, I recently heard Colin Hansen give a talk where he was saying, you know, parents in America, you know, they get concerned about all of these different cultural pressures. And he said, you know, the biggest danger to your kid's faith is your own affluence. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Because your affluence can encourage your kids to think that's where hope is. Uh, yeah. And everything that comes with that affluence, you know, going to the lake on the weekends instead of going to church, or, um, you know, spending mm. a lot of time and money on club sports. Not that those are bad things at all, but once they start sure. to communicate that this is what's most important in life, that is probably going to do more damage to your kids' faith than any kind of, you know, culture battle, culture war that they may be up against. I thought that was a really challenging point, but one that I think Moses is talking about here in some ways in Deuteronomy six. Well, let's move on to um, people who may not have families. How does family Hmm. worship apply to them? You talked a little bit about this in the sermon, but I could imagine people listening to the sermon and saying, well, what is, you know, how do I translate all of this that you're saying into my life as a single person or maybe a couple who doesn't have kids?
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, just a word on like sermon prep here you know we all in in preparing a sermon there's always like um, you you always have to like you know condense it down into mm-hmm. into certain things and, um, and and this is one that like you would kind of, you know given more time i would like to have addressed more of this in the sermon but i mean admittedly deuteronomy 6 is saying teach your children diligently. So it does seem to be very much in the context of like parents with children. However, I mean, there is certainly, uh, this certainly is applicable to, uh, you know, parents, sorry, husband and wife who do not have kids or to even singles, you know? And, and so, I mean, obviously the, the love of the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul and mind, have these words on your heart, I mean, this is something that, as believers, like every single one of us should be uh, should be carrying out. Not you know, and that's where Jesus even repeats this in in Matthew twenty two and and the other Synoptic Gospels. But um, so I, you know, I, I think that's extremely relevant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I would say for you know for husband and wife with no kids it's extremely applicable because husband and wife should have the type relationship where like you talk about the Lord often. I mean, that that should just be a part of like your everyday. I mean, in the same way that, you know, I mean, to go back to the sports analogy, but like in the same way that, you know, someone who loves the Auburn Tigers. We got a lot of those at, at Christ Covenant or the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll go there since they just won the, since they just beat the high school team and the national championship. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I mean the same way it's like, Hey, when are they playing next? Oh, they're playing on Saturday. You know, I, it's just a part of like your everyday conversation. So yeah. husband and wife should have that kind of relationship where, where it's just a part of your, your everyday conversation. Um, and, and you know, singles the same way i mean it it ought to be if 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 the bible if our faith if if god if following jesus if those things are central to who we are like it ought to just it, it should just be very natural and not yeah. like awkward for us to talk about these things with our roommates if you're single or you know or whoever so so i think some of these things apply and um yeah i mean especially for the singles in the room like we we have had some so many singles at Christ covenant who have gotten married in the last two years in yeah. our young adults ministry. You know, a lot of them go through the young adults ministry and they get married. And so, uh, I mean, what better way to prepare than to, you know, be, uh, taking heed of passages like this as you kind of go into that next stage of, of life.
1: Yeah. I mean, two other things I was thinking was, uh, one is like, you're saying once you do have kids, if that's something that, um, you get to enjoy, uh, then you can't just start at that point. You can't just start running the marathon at that point. You got to warm up, right? right. So uh, yeah, so yeah, in right. the way that you live with others as a, a single person or as a married couple without kids already developing this ability to talk about your faith in a way that communicates your enthusiasm for it. So it'll just be natural when you add kids to the mix. The other thing is, you know, when um, we do baby dedications at the church, there is this commitment collectively as a church towards the raising up of children. Uh, And Hmm. so whether they're your specific children or not, uh, the way that you behave, um, and if you get the opportunity to serve with the kids, which is a great thing for single people to do, you can actually live out some of this here. And I think, you know, that's Moses' concern yeah. is not so much like individual parents with individual kids. So that's certainly there, but that the people yeah. as a whole would be passing on the faith to the next generation. And that's something that we can do collectively, not just in our little tiny nuclear families, which is a very American kind of way to think that's about right. this. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Now you said that we can't do the, the family discipleship in verse seven of Deuteronomy six. Mm-hmm unless we've developed the all-encompassing love of God that we just see described in verses five and six. But how do we develop an all-encompassing love for God that, that, you know, in which we love the Lord with heart, soul, and strength? And a related question is, since we're going to fail in that, right? We're not going to be able to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength. How do we? Yeah. Does that mean we can't disciple our kids, or how do we think about discipling our kids once we recognize our own failure to love the Lord as we ought?
2: Right, and I, I mean that's a that's a great question because I, I I do I am aware and I do understand that when I'm explaining that in my sermon it sounds it sounds very black and white. Either you have this all-encompassing you know you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind, or you're not. Um, now, I mean, if we have more time, which I guess, you know, sermon talk back, here we are. Yep. <laughs> uh, but if we have more time to kind of flesh it out, um, I mean, we can definitely talk about the, you know, how this works itself out. I mean, I even th- think of, I even think of Paul in the New Testament saying that he does the very thing that he hates. I mean, he, he obviously has like a sin struggle going on as we all do, but I think it's, and that's why I wanted to include that third point of that, you know that Jesus makes true worship possible. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's understanding rightly our our standing before a holy God through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so the only reason we can, stand in the presence of God, be in the presence of God, have the presence of God with us as, as scripture teaches us that the spirit is given to those who surrender their lives to Jesus. The only reason we can do that is because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so it's, it's not to say those who are perfect are loving the Lord, their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, because we, we never reach that state of like perfection in terms of like the things that we do or don't do, uh, but we we are we are in a state of righteousness if we have placed our trust in Jesus, and so he he leads us before the throne, and and you know as the writer of Hebrews says, we can boldly approach the throne of God due to what Jesus has done for us, and so um it, and you know th- there's all kinds of different ways that we can go through this, you know. Uh, someone would say, "Well, if Jesus has done it all for me, you know, I, I guess I can kind of live however I want." And Paul deals with that in Romans six uh, very candidly um, that we should not go on sinning; that grace should increase, you know, and and those type things. And so, so there's a whole there's a whole discussion here. I, I think I think the word that I would give to uh, to families, you know, to to husband and wife or or to uh, parents of children right here is that. I really feel like authenticity is the key here. Mm. So authentically just acknowledging where you are and um, leading your family from where you are, okay? Mm. And so if, if you've never, you know, if family worship is something totally new to you, if family discipleship is something that you feel like you just haven't carried out much at all, I think it's just be authentic, like be genuine with your family, like gather them together in your living room and say, hey, guys, we just heard a sermon on Deuteronomy 6. I would like to do this better, and I don't think I've done this very well, but we can start now. And I apologize, like my faith is very important to me, but I don't always talk to you about it. And, but I want to. Sometimes there's an awkwardness of like knowing how to relate. I mean, just, just be authentic with your with your wife, with your children. And I don't know, every, everybody seems to respond well to authenticity because there's always a level of humility that's carried with that to just say, you know what, I'm just kind of humbly coming before you guys saying like, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect husband. Um, but I would like to grow in this area and I want all of us to grow together. So I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, just a word me, that like be authentic.
1: Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of the point that you made in that last point of the sermon about how family worship, it's not just imparting good moral lessons. It's saying this God has changed my life and can change right. yours as well. And if we're not authentic, we don't communicate that. If you know, if our kids think that we're perfect, um, then What, you know, what has God done in our lives if we can't acknowledge that we are sinners too, and we are forgiven. Uh, and so that authenticity is really crucial. And I think, you know, what our kids want more than anything else is to know us, uh, and we can even hide behind formal worship practices, uh, and prevent them from getting to know who we are. Uh, so yeah, I think that's really crucial. Um. I thought yeah. it was great that you ended the sermon with some practical tips because we could all use these mm-hmm. kinds of practical tips. Uh, Moses even gives some practical tips at the end of Deuteronomy 6. So we get hear in this chapter a beautiful little picture of family worship happening. So I just want to read this yeah. part of the passage because we didn't have time to go into it on Sunday. But it says in verses 20 to 25, it says, When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord, our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there and, or that, He might bring us in and give us the land that He swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all of these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. As he has commanded us. So what is this little vignette here of Moses doing family worship? What does that teach us about family worship?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, a thought that I was just having, I mean, because obviously he's talking about tell your tell your son when he asked that we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. So he's saying, go back in the past and and tell your son about the things that God has done for you. I was just sitting here thinking as you as as you were reading that, um, why don't you just share your testimony with your kids? Mm. Like just tell them how you came to Jesus. And I, I mean, honestly, I am I I think that I've done that with my kids, but I can't remember a time where I've just told them. How, you know, the the night I was actually at this youth camp when I was 16 and like it was very visible, you know, I was just tear. Uh, I mean, it seemed like the spirit was just all over me after this, you know, pastor had had preached the gospel to us. And um, anyway, so I was thinking this would be a very good thing, you know, and then I can turn it over to Joe Beth and say, Joe Beth, why don't you tell the kids, you know, how you came to faith in Jesus? And uh, yeah, I mean, that would just be a great way to yeah. do family worship. And family discipleship at the same time.
1: Yeah, I and I do think that that is part of what Moses is getting at there. It's just telling the story of God's redemptive right. work. Uh, and so putting, I mean, in obedience to God's commands are there. He's teaching those things, but he's putting them in the context of a God who redeems his people. And I think you could do that mm. individually. You could tell the grand story of the Bible. And so I, you know, I love that um. You were talking about the God's big picture Bible because I think that, that is, mm-hmm. that's a great Bible for telling the big story. Uh, mm. And so that students, uh, so that kids uh, can know that well. But I love that idea of just sitting down if you haven't done it, because I don't know if I've done that either, and just giving your, you know, telling your yeah. testimony to your kids. And it's not a story that you can yeah. tell too many times. I mean, we all have those stories that we tell over and over again to our kids that they can just tell the story for us. Sure. But is our testimony one of those stories? Probably not. It's, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, probably not. It yeah.
2: should
1: be. Yeah, you're right. right. It should be. Well, one mm. last um question is um one of the most powerful moments for me in the sermon was when you said, mm. "No one on their deathbed says, I wish I had invested in my family less." And I think we'd all mm. agree with that. But why mm. is it that we don't act that way as if that's true? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I I, I would say for all those listening, like it's a good question to just drill down on your own heart, like come before the Lord and maybe even grab a pen and a, and a journal and, and just, just try to like work through that a little bit and say, why, you know, why if, if, if I know that I will get to my deathbed and say, I wish I had invested, I had invested in my family more. If, if you think that that might potentially be a thought then, like, try to drill down on what you know, what the reasons there could be. I, I mean, I can give a, I can give uh, theological reasoning behind that. Uh, you know, scripture certainly teaches teaches us that an enemy is working against us. Um, it's not a power against It's not a, a war against flesh and blood, but against the, you know, the the principalities of the air. Uh, and so, we have an enemy that's working against us. And I would say that he very much wants to destroy families. Mm -hmm. Families are like the base unit of society and Mm -hmm. they're the base unit of the church. And so if you destroy families, you destroy the church. And I think that's, I I mean, I think we see churches destroyed through families being destroyed all the time. You, you know, you hear pastors that have done something promiscuous or, or, or whatever, and it's just absolutely devastating not only for that not only for that church, like in the in the public media, but I mean, think of all the families that are totally rocked by, by their pastor, you know doing mm-hmm. these these kind of acts. And so uh, but if you if you can destroy families, if the enemy can destroy families, he can destroy the church. And so I think that's kind of more of a theological reason. I would say kind of a practical reason is is that uh, we just get distracted. Uh, and, and maybe there's some spiritual warfare enemy type stuff that's going on there to try to distract us but it's even like seemingly good things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know let's take golf for example. I, I, I know I'm probably like hitting hidden it's like oh don't don't start bringing <laughs> up golf dude I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up my golf game. Here, here's what I would say about golf. I, I grew up in a golf family my dad, my brothers they're like crazy psycho golfers. Uh, They love golf. They play golf all the time. Um, I ended up not liking golf. I I mean, so I still play. I still play. But um, I think my dad actually has like a good perspective on it. He sees it. He sees golf very much in a relational realm. So he tries to be intentional, like play with my brothers so that they can spend time together. Um, he does it with friends so that they can spend time together. And so, so, I think there's a way to do these things that that are kind of re- redeeming., uh, yeah. but when we just have this like insatiable love for something and we're just pursuing it with all that we are, I mean, you can do this with work. you can yeah. do this with golf. You can do this with kids sports. I mean, you start getting into travel teams and all this, and it's like, every spare moment of your week is, is consumed by these things. And, and again, I'm not saying any of these are bad things. I'm just saying like, at some point we need to step back and consider where do I need to carve out time so that our family is actually being intentional of being a solid family unit? Because the thing that kids grow up and, and think about in terms of family is like the time spent with mom and dad, the time spent with the whole family. And so, I, I don't know, it's just, it's just something we all need to, and, and myself included, like, let's, let's, let's all consider, you know, how we do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if people are looking for some books that might help them think this through, because it is difficult. And if we're not intentional about it, it's just the way that our culture is going to push us. Um, I just recently read The Common Rule by Justin Early, which I found really helpful in terms of giving some very concrete tips on how to carve out space for your family, uh, also for the Lord. And then a lot of people have read the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer is a similar kind of message in that book. Uh, so those, Mm -hmm. those could be two things that you could look at. So, well, thanks so much Barrett next week. We have Robert Smith Jr. From Beeson seminary. I've got the opportunity to hear him preach several times and he is not to be missed. So if you Mm -hmm. um, can make it on Sunday, um, Don't miss it. I know you'll be there, Barrett. Um, But uh, uh, for Barrett Fisher, I'm Will Kynes.
0: Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talk Back podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again... If you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.